If your happy ending is no more joint pain, please try Sierra Sil with a money-back guarantee. It's all-natural joint pain relief that's changed our lives. Sierra, like the mountains, and Sil, like silicon. Go to sierrasil.com. Use the code DRIFT for 10% off. Hello, I'm Erin, and welcome to Drift. Tonight, I'm going to bring you a tale as old as... No, wait, I'll resist borrowing from any tunes or scripts with which you might be familiar. It'll be hard, but this really is a story that has been told for hundreds of years. Before we get to Beauty and the Beast, we'll take a few deep breaths and get you truly relaxed. And of course, I'll borrow a moment of your attention to thank our sponsor, Envy Pillow, two registered nurses who had an idea for a pillow that prevented wrinkles or bed face. But as time went on, their little business grew. They went on Canada's Dragon's Den and even turned down offers to lend them money for a piece of the company. It's a wonderful story, but I have to get to ours, so I'll remind you to learn more in the morning about their products, the two women themselves, and how you can use the promo code DRIFT and get 10% off anything you buy at Envy Pillow. That's E-N-V-Y pillow.com and sleep with the best. Now, I'd like you to take in a deep breath, counting one two, three, four, holding, and now exhale, but to six, one, two, three, four, five, six, and again, inhale, one, two, three, four, holding, and now exhale, one, two, three, four, Five, six, good. Let's get your body ready to take in this wonderful story. If you would, just start to feel heavy in your bed, lying there or sitting in your chair, letting your limbs feel heavy, your ankles releasing their hold, and the same for your wrists. If you're able, Wiggle your fingers and toes as though you're letting all of the day's activities escape. Now your calves and your thighs, let them sink deeply into your bed, your chair, wherever you are. Oh, maybe even a hammock. Wouldn't that be nice? Gently rocking, rocking. Now move up your body and feel your hips release. Your backside sinking more deeply. Can you feel your heart beating, bringing life to that beautiful body of yours? And now to your shoulders. Drop them down so they no longer hold the tension of the day. And your neck. Breathe in. And let it take a break from holding up that busy head of yours. Let your jaw hang limp. 
Are your eyes closed? Do your lids feel heavy? Good. Even your eyebrows and forehead, let them relax too. And with one more deep breath in and out, just think these words I am safe, I am loved, I am at peace. And if you're ready, let's drift. Once upon a time, in a land that was fragrant and green, there lived a merchant. He was fortunate enough to have three daughters. Each of them had their own qualities, to be sure. But the youngest, oh, she had been blessed with such an exquisite face and boundless grace that everyone called her beauty. If you were one of her two older sisters, how might you take that? Would you be happy for her? And grateful she completed the family with such loveliness? Or would you be envious and mean? I know you wouldn't. But sadly, that was the case in Beauty's family. Her sisters were nasty and hateful towards her. Her father loved her, and he had to love her enough for two parents, for her mother had died when she was just a child, when what seemed to be a common cold turned out to be something much, much worse. Now, Beauty was not affected by her charming reflection when she went to the river to swim, or when the sun shone just right, as she passed a window in her lovely home. It was lovely, that is, until a maritime tragedy meant hard times befell it. There was a shipwreck, you see, and aboard that boat, tossed so harshly on the November tides, were many items that Beauty's father would have sold to make his living. The ship's contents washed upon the shore. A shore somewhere, but not in his direction. So he had nothing to sell, nothing at all. Alas, the family became extremely poor. They had to move out of their home and into a tiny cottage. There could be no more servants, no one to cook and clean for the girls and their father. And of course, as time went on, their lovely dresses became tired, then torn, and then, oh, so shabby. Two of the daughters did not take well to this downward shift. <laughs> no, they did not. They wept and whined and threw all sorts of fits. Beauty saw that there were chores to do and worked hard from dawn till dusk. But still, she kept a light heart. An idea came to her father one night. He would venture off into foreign lands in hopes of finding any of the goods that were his to sell. As he saddled up his horse and packed the last of his very few provisions for the long ride ahead, he asked each of his beloved daughters what they would like for him to bring back to them. The eldest daughter said she would love for him to bring her the latest fashions 
in velvets and silks, for she so missed dressing in style and luxury. The second daughter implored her father to bring her gold and diamonds, pearls, and other finery to wear and to be admired. There was, however, no such request from the man's youngest daughter, for beauty uttered not a peep. What will you have, my dear? asked the man. Oh, father, I am truly happy. But he persisted, saying, Nonsense. I will happily fetch whatever your heart desires, if the fates are kind to me. So what will it be, my beauty? Finally, so that he would go before the day got too much older, she said, I will be grateful for whatever you bring, but most of all, I should love a red, red rose. Well, her two sisters, hearing this, dissolved in peals of laughter, a sound that had not been heard before in this house, at the silliness of their sister. Still, their father promised he would bring her just that, and off he went on his travels. Fall turned to winter, which melted into spring. Soon summer's blossoms were in full riotous colors, and fall's spectrum of beauty came on their heels. Then, as winter arrived, so too did the wayfaring merchant. He had indeed been more fortunate than even he had hoped, for he was able to win back a great part of the wealth he had lost. So on his long trip home, he could easily afford the gifts that two of his daughters had requested, the finest in fashion and jewelry. However, being winter, a rose of any color was almost impossible to find. He was away for nearly a year, and was so fortunate as to win back a great part of his lost wealth. At last, he was obliged to set off without one. He loaded his cart to twice its height, bulging with wares that swayed low on both sides and from the back. When he thought he was within a few miles' journey of his home, he lost himself in a thick wood. Darkness came on, and he began to be afraid that he would have to spend the night under his cart and beneath a tree, when suddenly... A bright light appeared, shining in the distance. He made sure his horse was securely tied and set off on foot towards the welcome illumination. On his approach, he found it came from a great castle that was set right in the heart of the forest. Having few other choices, none, actually, the exhausted traveler decided he'd try his luck and hoped that whoever lived inside this opulent place might let him come in and stay for the night, even if in the stables, which were themselves bigger than the man's own humble home. Imagine his surprise when, upon approaching the place from which the light of hope had emanated, he found the front door ajar, with no one around. Being a man of good manners, he used the heavy iron ring on the door to knock, and then knock again. But there was no response from within. With a shrug, 
he carefully stepped inside the castle. There, to his famished body's delight, he saw a table laid with everything you could possibly imagine. And without even hesitating, manners or not, he took a seat in a large oaken chair, tucked a napkin into his collar, and began to enjoy the finest meal the man had ever experienced. His belly full, exhaustion overtook him and he laid down on a soft, velvet-covered golden couch to rest his eyes. Soon, warmed by a fire in the hearth, he was fast asleep and snoring softly. At the first glimmer of dawn, he awoke, rubbed his eyes, and to his disbelief and delight, he saw that the thick dining table was once again laid out with the finest and heartiest breakfast anyone could wish for. Now as lovely as this hospitality had been, the man yearned for home and the love of his daughters. As quietly as he had come in, he left the comforts of this castle, silently marveling to himself that he had not laid eyes on one single person. He headed out towards the road, and in so doing, he gazed upon something he had not seen in the previous night's darkness and in his fatigued state. It was a garden. Even in winter, as lush a place as he had ever had the pleasure of seeing, filled with greenery and flowers. But lining the road, impossibly, was an avenue of towering, vibrant rose trees. Ah, oh, beauty, he cried, not only for the array of colors and stature that he beheld, but of course, remembering his youngest daughter's only request, a red rose. Without hesitation, the merchant broke off a bud from one of the trees. He thought to himself that no one would miss a single blossom from such a large display of flowers. He plucked the bud and was about to go on his way, but scarcely had he taken a single step when suddenly it was as though the skies had burst open, for there was a roar so loud and furious that the man was sure the trees around him were shaking as he was. He turned and saw running towards him a huge and hideous beast, the creature covered in dark matted fur and bearing long claws and enormous hands and feet, or were they paws, erupted in anger as he bore down on the poor shaking man. You ungrateful wretch, you have availed yourself of all my kindness and hospitality, eating my food, sleeping under my roof. And this is how you repay me? By robbing me of my roses? You shall pay for this theft, this ingratitude, with your miserable life. At this, the merchant removed his hat and clutching it in his trembling hands, pleaded with the angry apparition before him. But, but I assure you, I meant you no harm, uh, sir. Then falling to his knees, he begged the beast for forgiveness and pleaded for pardon. 
but his desperate cries did him no good. Or perhaps they did. For rather than tear this human limb from limb, the creature spoke up. I will make you this offer then, although it is more than you deserve. I will spare you your sorry life. But only if you promise me anything, sir, anything. Do not interrupt, he rumbled. Listen to me. You die now, or you swear to me that in your place you will send to me the first living thing that meets you upon your return home. The merchant thought for a moment. He was sure that one of his many dogs would run to the road at the sound of his horse's hooves. And so he answered, Yes, yes, I will do just that. I swear to you, d d just let me go, please. And he did. The man's horse galloped, full out, until finally the merchant could see a welcoming plume of smoke wending its way from the chimney of his own house. But his relief soon turned to horror and then dismay, for upon his approach it was not a dog that ran out to greet him, but his lovely daughter, Beauty. She had watched every day for him out of her tiny loft bedroom window and had torn out of the house to greet him as he arrived home at last. The man burst into tears at the sight of her, which of course confused his daughter greatly. Father, what is it? What has happened? He pulled his horse to a stop, jumped down from his seat and hugged his daughter, harder even than when they had said their goodbyes so very long ago. In a halting and tear-strained voice, he explained to her what awful thing he had promised a monster who lived in a great castle. His gentle daughter did her best to comfort her father. Do not fear, dear father. Perhaps the beast turned out not to be as horrible as he looks. He, he spared your life, so perhaps he will spare mine, for I've done him no harm. His father could not bear to look her in the eyes. He stared at the ground near her feet and shook his head in sadness. There was no way around it. The deal had been made. Oh, into what fate had he delivered his dear beauty, he wondered. Still, she took one look back, and raising her chin in a show of bravery and duty, she climbed up onto the bench of the cart and took the reins, beckoning her father to come and drive. And so he did, back to the castle. The two rode in silence. Finally, they passed the tree under which the man's horse had spent the night, and then they stopped the cart at the entrance to the enormous home. With a long embrace, one in which she was comforting her father rather than the other way around, the two said their goodbyes so soon after their all-too-brief and tragic reunion. At the Palace of the Beast, Beauty found everything prepared for her comfort and ease. A luxurious bedroom was made up for her very own. The rooms of the house were filled with everything she could wish for, had she even known such things existed. From fine art 
to good books, sculptures, and delicate figurines. As if this were not enough, the great hall that her own father had been in only the previous night and morning was laid out with every delicacy, and everywhere there were bowls full of velvety roses of the deepest red. She took in their fragrance as she searched the cavernous room for servants. She saw none, but there was no lack of service. It seemed invisible hands waited upon her and attended her every need. In fact, she had only to wish, and whatever she desired was at once placed before her. Soon any fear that she felt, and yes, there had been plenty despite her brave air, was replaced by awe and astonishment at the sheer luxury and magnificence of it all. It occurred to her that whatever beast called this place his residence, surely he did not mean her harm. For why else would he have put out such a delightful spread for her? Gradually, she began to feel at ease and decided to make the most of this unseemly situation and to wait as courageously as she could for the coming of the lord of the castle. And sure enough, that evening, there he was. Oh, he was certainly terrible to behold, and beauty trembled at the very sight of him, despite herself. But she forced upon herself an air of calm and strength, for indeed she reminded herself there was no real reason for alarm. He was the very picture of gentle grace, regardless of his appearance. He was so respectful and kind that soon beauty let go of her fears entirely. It did not take long before she quite liked this man-beast who was her host. In fact, she could have felt happy had it not been for the despair that her situation had undoubtedly caused her family. Oh, and the grief that her father must be enduring. Their sorrow and sadness filled her with the same, and no matter how she tried to hide it, her longing for home showed on her face. One night, when the beast came to visit her at the usual time, he could see that she was sad and asked her what was the matter. Beauty's tears began to flow as she begged the beast to let her go so that she might visit her father and assure him and her sisters that she was doing just fine in her new life. But to this she got an unambiguous no. The beast was adamant. No way would he grant her request. Oh, it's not that he was being cruel, for as Beauty now knew, this was not his way. He was protecting his heart, saying, You see, if I let you go, I am afraid you will never return, and then I shall die of a broken heart. Touched by the vulnerability and softness shown by her host, Beauty said she understood, but still she promised on her mother's soul that she would return to him, if only he would allow her just a few days with her family. Eventually the beast gave in, 
and granted her fondest wish. Ah, but there was a condition. He gave her a ring, saying, Put this on your little finger when you go to bed at night, and make a wish. In the morning you will find yourself at your father's house. But if you do not return to me by the end of the week, beauty, then I shall die of sorrow. And so it was. As soon as she fell asleep, wearing that tiny ring, she was magically transported. Her father was beside himself with joy and relief, having worried relentlessly about how she was faring. But her two sisters, well, they were another story altogether. They had both married while she was away, but still were bitterly envious of their youngest sister. You see, they were miserable in their marriages, both having married those who could not furnish them with the luxurious lives that they desired. The women were envious of beauty's clothes and her secure place in the very heart of opulence. Their envy made them craft a plan whereby they could prevent beauty from enjoying her great fortune. Huddling together, the two devised a scheme to prevent their sister from returning to the castle before the deadline that the beast had set. They hoped, not for his demise, but that he would be so angry he would kill her. When the day came for Beauty to leave, the sisters made, oh, such a great show of grieving and suffering at her impending departure. They begged her to stay just one more day with them, and Beauty, soft-hearted as she was, agreed to postpone her return to the castle. She felt in her heart this was a mistake, for she was saddened by the thought of the beast's reaction to her absence. And that night, do you know, as she lay in her bed, Beauty had a dream. In it, as vivid as though it was happening in front of her, she could see the beast dying of sorrow at what he was sure was her forgetfulness. So real was the dream, in fact, that she awoke in dismay and great emotional pain. She asked herself, how could she be so heartless and ungrateful? I promised faithfully that I would return at the end of the week, and here I am, Whatever will he think of me for breaking a vow to him? She sprang from her bed and began patting the table next to it, looking for the ring he had given her. Hastily putting it on, she made a wish to be back at the castle again. As magically as before, she was transported to the castle. Once there, she ran from room to room, searching for the beast to offer her apologies and assure him that she was back for good. But he was nowhere to be found. At last, she ran out through the massive French doors and into the garden. There, on the very plot of grass in which they had sat together for many hours, she saw him. He was lying as if dead upon the ground. A shriek arose from deep inside her as she ran towards him and sank to her knees, face in her hands. 
Oh, my dear beast, how could I have been so thoughtless and unkind and cruel to you? You have died of sorrow, just as you said you would. Oh, beast. As tears coursed down her cheeks, she bent over and tenderly kissed his furry face. She closed her eyes and laid her head on the grass near him. But a shadow crossed her face, and she opened her eyes, and there she saw the most incredible sight. The ugly beast had vanished. In his place was a handsome man, a prince by his uniform, who had stood up, and then he knelt at Beauty's feet. Thank you, thank you, dear Beauty, you have broken a spell, cast by a wicked fairy. She long ago condemned me to live in the body of a beast until a beautiful maiden came to forget my ugliness and kiss me. By your love and tenderness, you have broken that spell and released me from the jail of my body. And thanks to you, my love, I can now take my proper form again. Beauty was speechless, but she did have an answer of yes when the handsome man begged her to become his bride. So Beauty married the prince, who had been a beast, and they lived together in the castle, ruling compassionately over all in the prince's country, and lived happily ever after. And with that beautiful ending, we close the storybook on Beauty and the Beast. Now, drift off and sweet dreams. <laughs>